Welcome to season three of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. My name is Amy Wheeler and I'm your host. We are so happy to tell you all that's happening in the world of yoga therapy. And we love to find guests from all over the world so that we can share and learn and grow together. Some of the things that are happening in season three that we find so exciting is that not only are we continuing with the free gift that we are giving out every single week in season two, and you can see more about that in the show notes, but now we are adding a YouTube channel and you can see all of these podcasts on video. The YouTube channel is called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. Some people like to watch video maybe you want to use it for one of your trainings these videos on youtube will be there for you to use for free we would love your support we have opened up a patreon page that is going to help the podcast flourish and grow you can help us to expand and grow and create more content for you and we'd love for you to visit the patreon page which is called optimal state and yoga therapy hour podcast so let's go into our guest today and please nourish yourself take time for yourself and really relax into listening to the podcast welcome Lori highland robertson so nice to see you this morning great to see you amy i understand you're on vacation in north carolina and you've taken some precious time away from the beach and from family to Help us understand what's going to happen at SITAR 2022, the Symposium of Yoga Therapy and Research, which is kind of our annual practitioners conference, as well as friends of yoga therapy, meaning other integrative health practitioners are all welcome. 200-hour yoga teachers are welcome. 500-hour yoga teachers are welcome. Basically, anybody who wants to know more about the latest and greatest in yoga therapy. Is that accurate? Yes, that's, I think this conference is a wonderful way to, if you're not already immersed in the field of yoga therapy, and you maybe are considering it as a profession, or you are wondering how you might integrate it into your existing work, this conference is a wonderful way to explore that and to really get the lay of the land and see what folks are doing and see what settings they're practicing in and what kinds of clients and conditions they're working with. Absolutely. Fantastic. And this is the first time in two years that there's going to be a live option with the COVID-19 pandemic. We had to cancel the conference, obviously. So it's really exciting to think about people coming back together for the first time, giving hugs and smiles and building community and feeling each other's presence again. So thank you all for doing that, for pushing through all the difficulties, as well as creating an online version also for those people who can't come in person. It's an exciting way forward for the profession that in a lot of ways we were forced to make these adjustments. And it's been really exciting to see how they're going to be carried forward I think this is this is the way of the future, regardless of whether we're in a pandemic state or not. And we recognize that that situation is fluid. So you can visit, there is a COVID-19 page on the conference website. So you can see what the current mitigation measures are. 
and what the, the current protocols are. But this is really the way forward for not only yoga therapy education, but also for us as yoga therapists in many ways, right? Well, that's what I wanted to say. Number one, thank you for offering both because there's so many people out there that simply can't travel for for reasons of air flights are expensive and hotels are expensive and time away from work is difficult. So there's that group. There's people who get overstimulated by in-person conferences. I'm one of them. Like going to sitar, my entire nervous system just starts to vibrate (laughs) and I can't sleep and I don't feel well. I'm very introverted. And as much as I probably will be glad to come back to sitar in person, it's also nice to have that option if you don't want to do that. There's so many highly sensitive people out there and a number of other reasons why having that online option is so important. So I'm so glad to hear that IOIT is potentially embracing this format for the conference long-term. And I think it's so interesting because it's exactly what we're finding as practitioners who want to give yoga therapy care. I think a few years ago, everyone had it in their head that I can only see people in person who would ever want to do yoga therapy online. That's ridiculous. And I can tell you, Lori, 95% of my clientele, because I work with mental health in yoga therapy is online and it's working beautifully. So you know, we are receiving the nourishment from IYT online, but also this acknowledgement that the future of yoga therapy, education and delivery to clients is going to include online versions of that. Anything else you want to say about that? It is. There's no going back from, from that. And this is a beautiful example of how we really are starting to understand the different ways that people experience the world. And that those differences are valid and can and should be accommodated. It makes us all stronger as yoga therapists. It makes us stronger as compassionate people. It might have been the push of the COVID-19 pandemic that, that really moved this forward, but this is the way of the future. My heart just skipped a beat because even as a yoga therapy educator, a lot of the faculty I know and the students I know came to yoga therapy because of their chronic illness. So they were healed from their chronic illness or they're working on being healed because of yoga therapy. And now they want to become a yoga therapist. And for those people, it's difficult to travel again and again and again for an 800 hour yoga therapy program. So even that aspect, hearing that IOIT is embracing that online is here to stay, that makes me happy too, because now we can start to educate a diverse little army of yoga therapists that can go out there and do great work in the world. And it isn't just people who can afford to travel and have the health bandwidth to travel, right? So we're, yes. we're seeing it on all layers of the organization, I think. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that diversity will make us stronger as a profession. It will move the profession forward. It's essential. Not to mention every other healthcare field is also doing this. We're seeing this with physical therapy, occupational therapy, medical training, from the conferences to the direct care to the clients to educating the practitioners. 
we're just seeing this massive shift in all those areas. So we, it's wonderful to see that we're getting on board with that too. So thank you so much to you, the conference organization team, but also Alyssa, who's, you know, the executive director and Heidi, the woman in charge of, of the schools. I mean, you're all kind of moving with the times in this new direction. And I'm sure it's a lot of work. And I just want to thank you all for doing that hard work. <laughs> it's not easy to be in transition, you know? It's not. And I think it's helpful to acknowledge the discomfort of transition and also to have an eye on why we're doing this. Mm. As you said, it's to improve diversity, to improve the integration of yoga into healthcare practices so that it's available for more and more people, not only as a professional option to be a yoga therapist, but also to access as someone in need of care. Well, that brings us right to the amazing keynote speakers that you all have, have chosen for us. I have to say, when I saw this lineup a few weeks ago, it is the most excited I've ever been for a conference. I was like, yes. And one of the, the main people that I'm just blown away that you all pulled in is Sham Raghunatham. And please correct me if I said that incorrectly. It was close. Dr. Sham Ranganathan. Ranganathan. Uh, he, yeah, yeah. He's a well-known yoga scholar and increasingly well-known. And we are just thrilled that he's going to be one of the keynotes at the conference this year. Just what just happened. I think it's so important that we really work to pronounce people's names correctly. And, and now I have that and I'm going to memorize that. And I think it's really important to, to work on that. So thank you for correcting me. And Sham is going to be talking about colonial trauma and yoga therapy, which again, this is like, we have to embrace the new ideas, the new perspectives, the new ways of being. I think a lot of people 10 years ago would have said, what, what is that talk about? But so many of us are open to hearing how a colonial mindset is impacting us in life, in the way we move through the world, and in the way we administer yoga therapy. And it's really important to have the self-awareness to understand that my way is not the right way, right? That there's many different ways. And in fact, we have to do some self-reflection to notice when we are in our colonial mindset, especially because let's face it, we're all starting to see so many people coming to yoga therapy who've had extreme trauma. So what else is Sean going to talk about? Can you give us a little more nourishment on that? When we think of colonial trauma, right, as something that affects people who were colonized, black and brown people predominantly, who were visibly taken over by another culture, another group. And we think that that's where the trauma is, the people who were oppressed directly by colonization. And it is incredibly important to understand that everyone is affected in a traumatic way by colonization. And really starting to understand that, I think, is a key foundation to healing it, to figuring out what's next. We can't jump right there, obviously, but we really need to understand the ways in which all of us are affected 
by colonization, by the colonization of yoga, by the colonization of the culture that produced yoga, and the ways that shows up in our relationships to the practices, and the ways that it might show up in how we work with clients and how we approach our yoga therapy practices. So I think it's going to be an incredibly enlightening presentation. And I just remembered that Dr. Ranganathan wrote a great feature article in the winter 2022 yoga therapy today. So if you're an IAYT member, you can check that article out and get a lot of good background in advance of his talk. I think that would be really helpful. Fantastic. I'm going to look that article up and I follow him on Facebook and the content he is putting out there is nothing short of remarkable. It's really amazing content. So you might even go check him out on, on Facebook. I recommend it. He's an incredibly clear thinker mm. and that's essential, right? For when we're talking about these really big ideas and approaching them in ways that are probably different than what you thought they were going to be. Yeah. So it's incredibly important that that person be able to, to clearly articulate where he's coming from. Dr. Ranganathan really does that well. So like I said, I'm looking I'm, forward to that. I'm thrilled. I, I cannot wait to hear him speak. And we also have a yoga instructor and activist, Marshawn Feltis, who is going to be observing us in the conference and then feeding back to us what he saw and inspiring us to move forward as individuals and together as a community, I think, to move forward and each of us can find ways to be a mini activist in our own way. So that's going to be very exciting. I'm, I'm excited about that one too. Another keynote is Catherine Cook-Catone, who's a psychologist and yoga therapist. Uh, she specializes in eating disorders, but I think she's giving a, a general talk on yoga therapy, embodiment, and pathways to healing. And then another kind of highlight is Adhana McCarthy, who's a yoga therapist, a U.S. Army major, and a physician assistant who's had a wealth of experience in many different areas of life, she's going to be talking about uncovering opportunities in yoga therapy advocacy. So I've met her personally on Clubhouse, and then she and I have had a few conversations kind of on the side offline, and she is remarkable. I know you don't want to miss that one. She is fantastic. So congratulations on choosing these phenomenal speakers. I'm just thrilled to see what you all have chosen. It's so new and fresh and different than I remember any of our conferences. So Lori, why don't you tell us about the dates for the SITAR Conference 2022 and where it's located? Thanks, Amy. It is going to be this June 9th through the 11th, and it's going to be just outside Chicago in Lincolnshire, Illinois. So it's a little bit north of Chicago, still easy to get to. Mm -hmm. um, all the information about the hotel, which is really quite lovely. It's not just a hotel. It's a resort on a good amount of ground and space. There's an orchard that you can walk in. So lots of outdoor spaces to gather and be together in community. And there's a lot of information about the venue on the conference site, 
which is iayt.org slash sitar2022. So sitar with a Y. Perfect. Yes, I highly recommend to go and look at, okay, here's what the online conference is going to look like or the virtual version. Here's what the in-person will include. There's just a lot of information that we can't portray well enough on, on this little talk we're having. But if you go to www.iyt.org slash sitar2022, you'll see the prices, $595 for in-person, $395 for virtual. And at the bottom of the page, you'll see all the different tuition discounts that are available from the global majority program to the World Bank countries program. I'm just so happy that you're offering discounts for people who want to attend, want to be part of our community, but maybe finances have been hit hard and it's difficult to participate in the conference without that discount. Yeah, absolutely. Go and and check it out, see which option works best for you and see whether though any of those discounts that are offered would be supportive for you and take advantage of them if they would be. Lori, is there anything I've forgotten before we finish today? Gosh, I don't think so. As you've said, we've put a lot of effort into the conference website. So you'll find a lot more information there. It's Yay. Really a beautiful site. Yay. I, you know, I think one thing that we haven't talked about is we've talked a lot about the keynotes who are amazing and inspiring and the general session as well. So those are sessions that everybody's going to get all at the same time. We also have workshops. We've talked about that a little bit recently, but also the concurrent tracks in the afternoon. And those come to us by a different sort of route this year than they have in years past. We put out an open call. And so I think you're seeing the diversity of yoga therapy practice and perspective being reflected in those offerings as well. So check that out on the schedule page. Can I just comment on that? Seeing people that are actually doing great work in the field, bring their ideas forward. It doesn't have to be a famous person. It doesn't have to be somebody that you recognize their name. I really love hearing from the people on the ground and seeing what they're doing. To me, that's the most nourishing thing. I can see a big name and go sign up for a weekend workshop or something, but I want to see what people, all of us, all the different perspectives out there are doing in person with their clients or online with their clients. So it's very exciting to see how you've kind of reformatted this. Yeah. See what your peers are doing. We all have something valuable to offer. Yeah. All right, so that's SITAR 2022, June 9th through 11th. Sign up now, but one more save the date before we finish. IYT has a fall conference every year that's focused only on research. It's called the Symposium on Yoga Research, S-Y-R. It's been held at Kripalo for many, many years. This year, it's October 17th through 19th. 2022. So I just want to have people save the date in case they'd like to go to SYR. Thank you, Lori, for coming today and educating us on what's going to happen at SITAR this year. Thanks, Amy. Such a pleasure to talk with you. We have a very special treat for you today, speaking with Lee Majewski, who has created these amazing three-week 
cancer care retreats for people who are coming out of medicine, allopathic medicine, and going back into their lives and needing to learn all sorts of self-care strategies, lifestyle adjustments, letting go of the identity that they used to have and, and getting a new identity to go into their life a little differently. And these retreats were started in Kavalyadam in India, and now Lee has brought them to Toronto, Canada. One of the things I love about this episode is that Lee talks about the transformation that happens in this three-week period where people come in with a very strong identity around their roles in their families, their roles at work, their prestige, their money, their job, their, they, they have a personality that's completely driving who they are in this world. And that over the course of these three weeks, something happens. And that is around a week to a week and a half, what we call in yoga therapy, the blue goo starts to emerge. And we all know that that is part of the healing process that when you start to break down and digest and process very difficult emotions and memories and experiences from our lives, it has to come out and that there's a certain level of maturity that's required, spiritual maturity that's required by the yoga therapist to be able to hold that space while the blue goo comes out. And of course, a lot of times there is transference that happens when the student or the client begins this healing process. But by the end of the three weeks, the new identity has emerged. And that is the person is now connected to something much deeper inside themselves. They understand that they are not their job. They are not the role that they play in their family. They are not the personality that they came in with, that they are consciousness. And even when this body and mind and personality is shed, that there will be something that remains. And that is who they truly are. This is yoga therapy. It is a spiritual process. And what really struck me as Lee was talking is that in our yoga therapy school at the optimal state, it's the same process. We do it for three years, but if someone cannot approach a daily practice with enthusiasm and really work through their blue goo and start to let go of their personality that they came in with and instead start to identify with something very deep inside themselves, that pure consciousness, it is very difficult to help them become a really effective yoga therapist. That that process happens for our clients, but if we ourselves are not brave enough, courageous enough, honest enough to let the blue goo come up, to work through it, to get to the other side, to identify with something deeper inside ourselves and come out as a graduate that understands that and can help others through that same process. It, it's a remarkable journey, but if we're not able to do that with honesty and bravery and courage and get to that other side, to that new identity, I believe it's going to be very hard to help anyone else to do that. So that really stood out for me 
with this conversation that I've had with Lee. And there's so many beautiful stories that she is about to tell you. And I think you're really, really going to enjoy this episode. Hello, it's my honor and my pleasure to introduce you to my friend and my colleague, Lee Majewski from Toronto, Canada. Welcome, Lee. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. So Lee, this is a topic that I think so many people are going to want to listen to this episode because we all either have experienced ourselves cancer or we have a loved one that has experienced cancer. And you have so much experience and wisdom about yoga therapy and cancer care. So thanks for coming to talk about this topic with us. Thank you. So Lee, I remember the first time I heard of you, I heard there was a Canadian woman that had moved to India and was living at Kavalyadam, which is a very old, one of the first yoga therapy places in, in India, I think is it 1924 or something. I'd have yeah. to look that, that number up, but you know, I was just so enamored with the thought of you just trekking over there and setting down roots and, and getting cancer care and care for chronic diseases, you know, working on those projects. So do you want to tell us just a little bit about how this all began for you? Well, it, 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 the way you talk about it, it sounds like a fantastic, big project, but really, truly, the way that life happened was that I was led from one thing to another and to another. And, you know, I decided to go to India because I already was working as a yoga therapist with cancer patients because I went through the cancer and I saw that people are getting better and I'm thinking, oh, I need to know more. And the best is to know from the horse's mouth. So I researched the India and available places and chose Kvailadam. And I went there just for nine months, mm. not more than nine months. And the studies were fantastic. And very intense and at the one of the coin about midway midway or, or so i had a conversation with swamiji and he says oh you had cancer maybe you could do some research on cancer and yoga i said okay and that's how it started and they you know when i'm thinking research and of course kavailadam has a research department i thought okay so we will need a protocol and i thought what should we include in the protocol and that moment i remembered my conversation with my oncologist at the end of chemotherapy, I had operation, I had chemotherapy, and I had radiation. And at the end of this program, my body was wasted. I had fog, brain fog such that I barely could put the sentence together, and it still lingers. I sometimes stutter. And my body was, I had no energy, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, what's going to happen? Like, I can't live this way. There's no way I can work or do anything. 
And I'm sitting in the last visit in uh, oncologist's office, and this is the, the one of the top oncology places in the world, in Toronto. And he says to me, oh, well, so you finish your treatment. You did this and you did this and, and everything is okay. And now, okay, so this is our last visit, last consultation. Now you can go and live your life. And I was floored because there was no life. I saw that he's going to direct me or suggest something else. And he said, no, you just go and live your life. And I'm thinking, I can't walk up flight of stairs because I'm too weak. I function half an hour and then three hours I have to lay down in bed. I have no memory. I have no cognitive abilities. And he's telling me to go and live my life. And I'm thinking, what life? Where is the life? That moment of total helplessness came back to me. And at the same time, I was thinking about my husband who had triple bypass. Mm. And when he came back from the hospital, right away, he's been offered a three-time physiotherapy yeah. for six months. Three times and a we week. Had three times a week. And we had nothing. Can I stop you right there for a minute? Yeah. How is that possible that... A woman has cancer and there is zero care for her. That is mind-blowing. There's a discontinuity between medical care and support care. That's where yoga therapy is just a beautiful adjunct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where those three weeks retreats came in with this in mind to take people who are totally, almost totally disabled. You know, in my case, it was, you know, twice during my chemo, I thought, well, if this is the life I want to check out, I don't Mm -hmm. want this life. So to take them and to lift them up, you know? And so within 20 minutes, I have to say that I downloaded the program. I did not go to do research. I did not go. I knew only that I want to have everything, including meaning asanas, pranayama, meditation, uh, mudras, chanting. I wanted to use all of it instead of only thinking about, you know, yoga equals asanas. And most of some of those clients couldn't do asanas because they didn't have, at the beginning, they didn't have really the energy to do it. But anyway, so that's how it happened. It, it sort of, it was one big download. In 20 minutes, I had a whole thing in my head. I went to the CEO. I said, this is the idea. What do you think? He said, it's brilliant. Write the proposal. And the same day I submitted proposal and we started those retreats. And of course, we started the retreats before I finished the studies. <laughs> so after finishing the studies, CEO asked me if I would stay and keep running these programs. And then of course the Beyond Cancer retreat evolved into chronic solutions and we dealt simply with chronic diseases, not only cancer and the rest of history. And we did research and, and all that stuff. So I'm bringing up 
you know, now we have this podcast, not just in audio on all the major podcast platforms, but we're also having every one of the videos put into a YouTube channel, the optimal state with Amy Wheeler. So those of you looking at this on video, you can see the Kavali Adam website, yoga for health, yoga education, yoga research, just a beautiful mm-hmm. campus. This is where you first started these three week retreats and people yes. basically were coming out of their medical care and they would come and live for three weeks. And they would be in the group, living in the group, eating in the group, staying together from seven o'clock in the morning till 8.30 at night. Can you go through like a, a sample schedule? Cause I remember when you told me like hour number one is this and then this, and I was like in shock at how many hours a day you all would yeah. support each other. Yeah. So we started, I think seven o'clock in the morning, we would start with shakarmas and followed by asanas and a little bit of pranayama. And then we would have breakfast and after breakfast, we would have lecture because it changed later on. Let's say we had a lecture an hour and a half. Then they would go in Kavailadam, they would go for Ayurvedic treatments. Then they would come for pranayama and meditation. Then was lunch and they had two hours break after lunch. And we would start 2.30, I believe, with uh, different practices. And then we would have meditation, yoga nidra. And then there was supper. And after supper at 7.30 to 8.30, we had chanting and meditation. Now, I have to say that, first of all, the group was no, no bigger than eight people. Mm. After every practice whether it was meditation or chanting or whatever it was, or yoga nidra, we would have a discussion and a sharing in the circle. Mm. And that within, you know, two or three days, that created family and they started to support each other. And that was a tremendously important factor in their healing. Well, it's the sangha, like sangha as absolute healing. Yes. And you know, what occurred to me when you were saying that is that they've all been through this probably pretty horrific and traumatizing medical experience for many months. And I would imagine you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it would be hard to tell your family what was going on inside of you because you'd want to protect them and not worry them. So here you are possibly holding it all in for all these months. And now you come into this safe cocoon where you can actually properly digest and process through asana, pranayama, meditation, chanting, mudra. You can do all of these kind of embodied healthcare things that help you to digest this experience you went through. And you have a family right there willing to talk about it with you. So you can normalize it and work through it. I mean, it's brilliantly And sometimes we heard horror stories on the first day when we start the program. Instead of lecture, we have a story time and we sit in a circle and each one is telling their story, their their journey. Mm -hmm. And some of those stories uh, were, were horrific, especially from India, because India has, or even far east, has a lot of stigma 
attached to C word. And so a lot of them will not go to the doctor because they're afraid it's a cancer. And so mm-hmm. they, they, they usually are diagnosed at the later stage. But I had a young guy, 28 or 27, and he was engaged to be married. And when the bride's family found out that he was diagnosed with a cancer, engagement was severed just because he had cancer. And so were most of the people who would attend these three-week retreats, were they from India? And did they leave their home and come and stay on the campus of Kavaliadam? I would say that it differed, but I would say it was 50 or maybe 30% India and 70% Europe, North America. I had people from Argentina, South America. And we had Canadians, quite a lot of Canadians too. There was very little promotion, but people would find us on the website. And through the website came the signs in. So, yeah, and we had people at different stages. We had people who would come and they had maybe three years ago or four years ago treatment. We had two people who just finished the treatment. They had stage four cancer. They were told nothing can be done. Go and write your will. And they would come to the retreat. And then after the retreat, they would, you know, go back and within four weeks die. Mm. So, so, you know, it's different different stages, but the experience, you know, what, what is tremendously powerful is the fact that if I tell you that I went through the chemo and it was bad, you will know exactly what I mean. Mm-hmm. I don't have to describe it to you. And that type of communication and understanding comes up very quickly within the group. And it really grows like a family, and people are still today in touch. You know, I was in touch with ask me. That. Yeah, yeah, and within the group too. Yeah, I mean, when you have such a powerful, intensive experience for three weeks, twelve to thirteen hours a day, it would be so hard to just everybody goes their own way and you never talk to anyone again. So I'm really glad to hear that they stayed in. Well, touch. they stay in touch, but you know. I I don't know how to say that, but I am in awe what yoga can do to people. The miracles that I've seen in front of my eyes. And I can't even, you know, I can't even claim ownership of that mm. because, because they were doing this stuff and they were experiencing this stuff. Can you tell us some stories? Like what is a miracle in your mind? I'll tell you two, my two favorite stories. First story is about Harry, and, and the story is also on my, both are on my website. He was Canadian from Vancouver of Indian descent. He was born in India, but immigrated to Vancouver. And he came because he was told it's a four-stage lymphoma, you know, nothing we can do. And he signed in to the retreat day before we started. So it was like, oh, another one. Okay. He came full of fear of death, full of regrets, and full of guilt. You could see that. 
you know, you, it was, it was palpable. almost palpable. palpable. And we worked with him and he, of course, found, you know, friends. And I worked with him individually also doing a little bit of counseling. And of course, at the beginning, I do poems. I do, it's a scale of mood test. Mm, yeah. And, you know, he was high on depression, high on fear and confusion and very low on energy. And then at the end, we did palms again, and, and he, was, he was like a normal person. And I said, look, look what's going on. I mean, this is based on your replies, so nobody could forge the, the result. And he says, no, 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 that's how I feel. I'm not afraid of dying anymore. I want to go back to whatever le- life I have left, live it the best of my ability, be with my sons, and enjoy every moment of it. And he was calm. He was peaceful within. He wasn't optimistic, but he, was, he wasn't afraid anymore. And he went back to Canada, and within, I believe, four weeks, he died surrounded by friends and his former en- enemies. Totally, wow. peacefully, wonderfully. The nice story, you know, like somebody's up there looking after us. There's a home office somewhere there. I came back to Canada and after six years in India, and, and I thought, I don't think I'm going to start teaching. I, don't, I think I'm done with all of this. And that night, I'm getting an email, and the email reads, Dear Lee, you don't know me, but I am a wife or your, of your former patient, Harry. <laughs> and I just wanted to tell you how I appreciate it. And she goes on and, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> You're like, damn, I have to keep doing I, this work. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, it happened. I mean, it really, really happened. Yeah. So that's a one story. Another story is <laughs> about... English gentleman, he was 72 at the time, and he called himself psychotherapist, although I don't think he had any courses. I, I'm not sure, but he was a very distinguished... Um, English gentleman? Yes, yes. I <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. He never did yoga before, and it wasn't cancer, it was chronic solutions. And I think he had some anxiety problems, but he never came out and told me. Now, he was very friendly at the beginning. Now, I just have to tell you this, that first week they start this intensive program, they are getting used to the schedule. By the end of the first week, the stuff comes up. Yep. And it, it you know, it, it different the blue people. Goo. Different. <laughs> yes, the blue goo stuff comes out different for different people. Then they usually work on it second week. And by the third week, they feel completely different. And now they're beginning to be afraid because they want to keep what they have when the, they go back home. The new identity they want to hold on yes. to. So Nick would call me my friend at the beginning. And then by midweek, I became course leader. 
<laughs> so I knew something's coming. <laughs> and uh, so, he, you know, so within, so within this course, they always have half an hour with me if they want to, they have to request it, but they have half an hour with me. So he says, we need to meet, meet to, today. I said, okay. <laughs> so he came to my room and I gave him tea and he started. I did this and I am such an awful leader. And why did I say that to him? And, and I mean, he was on and on and on. And I'm sitting there and listening to this and I'm thinking, my God, what do I do? How can I? What, what can I say to get him out of this? And can I interrupt you? Did you know that there was a lot of transference going on at this point? Or Well, it was so obvious. Okay, okay. Because some, so people, some people might take it personally and start questioning, am I doing things wrong? And am I a terrible course leader? But it sounds like you knew that this was his well, blue goo. You know, when, when I've learned one thing, I mean, uh, this was a fantastic school for me, I've learned one thing. If I'm standing in front of the class, whether it is just a class or retreat, usually I am assigned an archetype of a mother. Mm. And usually, (laughs) if you had a good relationship with your mother, I was a good person. If you had a bad (laughs) relationship, I was a terrible. And I had one patient say to me, well, you're just like my mother. (laughs) So anyway, coming back to Nick, so he's on and on and on. And I'm thinking, I don't know what to say to that. And then, you know, I said, I sent the signal to home office. Okay, what do I do? <laughs> and when he's finished and he says, I'm done. Do you have anything to say? And that moment thing comes. and Home I said, office sent the message back down. <laughs> yes, yes, home <laughs> office is telling me, Nick, do you? understand that this is all transparent. You know, he was psychotherapist. So I could use that language. And to to give him credit, he understood. And he said to that, oh my God, I've been working on my mother with the best psychotherapist in England, and it still comes kicking. Wow. Now, this is just part of the story. He then goes out next day, because of him, I'm doing meditation for open heart. He does meditation and something happens to him. He had some experience during that meditation. So then right after lunch, he still starts meditating. And now he's changed person. Mm. Now, he didn't come to me to tell me that he had a shift. I had no idea what happened, but I noticed the difference in him. Then he goes back to England and he writes me a letter. And he says that he had such a huge shift then mm. that he completely changed his outlook on life. And he says, now when I come down for breakfast, humming triambacan, my wife tells me, asks me, why are you so happy? (laughs) That's not the end. And then I said, Vic, what happened? Like, 
how year later I sent him a question, you know, where are you now? And he says, I've arrived. I found Maharishi. I studied his sutras, Patanjali sutras, and this is the best psychotherapy that there can be, and that's what I'm using now in my work. Wow. Isn't that a wonderful story? It, both of them are equally wonderful. But, you know, I hear this a lot from psychologists, and I understand their concern when they say yoga counseling should not be allowed because we're not licensed healthcare providers. But Patanjali's Yoga Sutra is the original psychotherapy. Like it's, it's, hard, it's hard to hear that something that is a couple of hundred years old is the replacement for the original that has been around for thousands so. of years. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, you see, this. The, here is a huge difference that I see. And again, maybe because those three weeks are very unique. Mm. They are very intensive and produce shifts, profound shifts in a relatively short period of time. But what I think is happening is psychotherapy Western psychotherapy is trying to fix people. Mm. Whereas I never talk to people until they come with a question to me. In other words, I'm waiting for them to have an experience that they don't understand. I felt this energy. Oh my God, what is this? And that opens the door to explain what yoga talks about energy and what kind of energies there are, you know? So to summarize, that means the person walk, has, has an experience first, and then and the, then we the question comes. I walk always half a step behind the client, mm -hmm. waiting for opening and for the client to come to me with a question. And then... I know how much and of what I can explain to them. That's the counseling that I'm doing. I don't know about other people. I'm, I, and I'm not therapist, psychotherapist by any means. And we're not providing answers. We're literally no. giving a space for sensation to emerge in one's body. And or then to have any kind of experience. I had a lady who was sworn atheist who in the meditation saw Jesus and she burst into tears. Yeah. You so know? they have and this so, experience yeah. and then to point them to the texts that explain that experience, that yeah. is yoga counseling. Yeah. And just so we're practicing good ethics here, Lee, did these two gentlemen give you permission to use their name and identifying yes. information? <laughs> I was hoping yes. so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, Nick wrote me a letter and he says you can put it on the website. Oh. And it is on the website. I'll show yes, your website yeah. just in case people want to read more about that. If you were to try to pin it down, I've told us so many different things, but what is maybe the, the mechanism that's creating this healing? Is it the Sangha? Is it the wholesome food? Is it the... 10 hours a day of embodied healthcare. I mean, what do you, what do you think is the you know, mechanism? I think 
No, you need to go, if you are on my webpage, you need to go to Beyond Cancer. And at the bottom, Beyond Cancer, there is a story about Harry. Mm, okay. Just to say on your website, which is yogaforhealth.institute, there is a story about Harry. And on chronic cures, this story about Nick. Actually, he's letter to me. Mm, here we go. Yeah. Okay. All right. So back to the question. It's so very difficult to pinpoint because we have such different people at different stages from different cultures. Mm. And I've noticed that the more honestly people were practicing, the better result they had. That's one thing. The second thing is Sangha was very important because Sangha allowed them to, especially at the end of first week and beginning of second week, when they would have that blue glue coming out, they were supporting each other. They weren't alone mm. in this blue glue, you know? So, and, but at the same time, they couldn't leave because <laughs> they were in India <laughs> in, this, in this place together. And even if they wanted to leave, you know, there, there were seven other people who were saying, well, no, 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 don't do this. No, let's go for a walk instead, you know. But I've noticed one thing, and this is just my experience. I don't know, you know, about weekly or bi-weekly sessions. I can't speak to this too much because my experience men, mainly with the retreat. The biggest thing is that we somehow are taking them out of victimhood. The doctor is not the God of all. There is a change of paradigm where as a result of first, even first few days, they beginning to feel a little bit better and they beginning to understand that they are also responsible for their own health equally. And so the change of paradigm is the doctor and client now comes together, right? Now, Instead we, of having the doctor be in a kind of a hierarchical position above them. And instead of going to the doctor for doctor to heal me, mm. no. Doctor is not going to heal me. Yoga therapist is going to give me tools to heal myself. Right. Okay, so there's ownership. Either That's heal yourself... Huge. Or accept death and dying if that's the case. Healing, well, healing does not necessarily mean curing. Right. Right? Healing, I mean, Harry was healed and died four weeks later. Right. But he died a completely different person. Yeah. So that's the one. And then we lead them with these tools to the state of yoga. We, okay, so we're moving them from identity of personality and form to identity with being. Mm. So in, in then we would say we're taking them from being identified with a particular personality into being identified. Or role. Yeah. Or role, right? Or role. I'm mother, I'm grandmother, I'm friend, I'm lover, I'm whoever, into presence identity. I am. I feel that I am. 
So we're taking them from superficial to spiritual. And very interestingly, in these retreats, usually, I mean, you know, different people, different things, but usually it starts with becoming aware of the body. And then they notice the energy moving in the body, prana moving in the body. Oh my God, what is this? I felt such a heat, heat in my stomach or somewhere. Then once they are accepting that, they're moving from being emotion to observing emotion. Mm. And finally, I mean, we're looking at cautious, right? Yeah. So, and then we're moving in them from being the thought. You talk to, you know, majority of, of men will tell you, <laughs> I am my thoughts, to observing the thought. And once they start observing the thought, they are beginning to be behind the thought, to be. And the beingness now comes up. So I think this is the process, a very unique process that, that yoga therapy is offering. In that process of unifying everything and moving from superficial, from achieving on the timeline, from the parallel plane, we move them to vertical plane, going either, you know, how you want to see it, going down or going up, down to the divinity within. Maybe going I, inward. Well, going inward, yes. Going yeah. down inward, right? Mm. To, to the, your own beingness. And that is the essence of yoga therapy that it's Absolutely. hard to explain what we do, but to help somebody move from what you're saying, a superficial identity that's around ambition and your role and how much money you make and what kind of prestigious job you have and to unwind all of that, to get back to that place where I am yeah. full stop. That's the, and that's the, uh, that's the, uh, also our journey. And that this is the, in this process, I don't know if you've noticed, but in this process, the ego, the personality slowly weakens as the presence of beingness grows stronger. So Lee, and everything you're saying is so interesting because this happens when people are healing from an illness. And, and I believe it can contribute in some cases towards curing actually happening because when that deep shift takes place, you emerge a new person with new lifestyle habits with new ways of communicating humming as you're coming down the stairs with your wife saying, yeah. <laughs> why are you so happy? Like it creates such a dramatic trajectory yeah. shift yes. that yes. sometimes curing does happen. Sometimes it probably does, but you know, I don't, I never ask these questions because we don't know how to measure all this stuff. I just witness it being mm. in front of my, happening in front of my light, my eyes. And if, like in, in the story of Nick or Harry's uh, wife who contacted me three, four years after he died, out of the blue. I never know these things because they happened in their lives. And, I'm, you know, I don't follow unless they will come back and tell me. I don't know. But I've seen so many, you know, even within three weeks, I had a gentleman 
stage for colon cancer coming to the retreat. He signed out. I signed up three months before the retreat started. And he came, he was very quiet. He didn't speak much, but he worked very diligently, very honestly. And at the end, I didn't, I really didn't know, you know, how, because he didn't share much. And I didn't know whether it was because of the lack of English, he was French, or because he was introverted. But he came to me at the, just before he was leaving for the, for the Mumbai. And he says, you know, when doctors told me that they have nothing for me and I signed for this retreat, I was just trying to survive to come to India for this retreat. But now I'm going back to a new life. Mm. You know, and, and hearing something like that, and I, again, <laughs> I can't take ownership. I'd love to, but I can't take ownership because he was doing the work. But hearing something like that, I mean, no money can buy this. Well, and it's very nonlinear. You can't point to yes. this is what made it yes. happen. And, yes. and you, you've said it two times now, the honesty with which a person arrives and is willing to do the work on themselves and yes. go inward and do the practices with a good attitude for a period of time like that, you can't measure that either. No, no. But I can measure by the end results usually, you know, mm. I, I can see. But also as a yoga therapist standing in front, I don't see everything. And sometimes things I find out later on are just astonishing to me. And the way that yoga works is just, I'm telling you, it just produces miracles in people's lives. And so I'd love somebody to pick it up and do it. <laughs> well, well, let's talk about that because after you came home from India and, and more recently since COVID, you actually started running these long retreats online. Well, I actually started, I just run one retreat so far because we were ready. I, you know, I developed a network here and, and I found the place and we were going to run first retreat in Canada. And just before I put the deposit to the place, <laughs> the day before COVID happened officially. Mm. So I was stuck with four people that wanted to have retreats and, want, and, and were, were going to come to the retreat, but they didn't. They couldn't because, and I didn't believe that um, this retreat, because of the Sangha factor in this retreat, I didn't believe the retreat is going to be effective. Online. And so, online, yes. And I'm thinking... Oh, I don't know. And somehow it happened that I talked to, I don't know what about. To you talked Richard. to me once. You're, you're like, uh, yes. I remember you said, Amy, do you think this can even work online? And I said, hell yes, go for it. <laughs> right. And you encouraged me and Richard Miller encouraged me. He says, you've got to run it online. And so we did. But because people were prepared that they will go away and not stay at home, we had to run the retreat one week, then give them one week for organizing home. And then we run another week, second week. And then we had a break another week. And third week we run on the 
fifth week, if you will. The so beauty on, off, on, off, on, on. Well, no, you see, this is the, this is the wisdom of the, what happened was that these people on the off weeks were practicing on their own. Wow. So they had tapes and they had designated time during the day, during the morning and evening where they were actually doing the practices. So it became a five week practices retreat and it was effective. Did they have the Sangha online that you were concerned you might not have? No, they didn't. Not the same. Not the same. Mm. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same, but they were very open to each other. Mm-hmm. There was the, during the, uh, the practices and sharing, part of the sharing was happening and they were opening. There was no inhibition on their part in mm-hmm. sharing. And what about the blue goo? Could you see if that still came up and there was that urge to eject? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, it did happen. But that was the only retreat I ran online. And I think it would work online too, but I don't have here in Canada anybody who right now can be trained. So actually, I, I'm building this network still. And I hope that we will start, we're looking now at the places and like just to prepare and maybe, maybe sometime next year we'll start running these in Canada as well. You know, we were talking before the show that as you look towards having a little more free time in your life and maybe not working quite so hard, that you would love to have kind of a protege or a mentee emerge that could study and learn with you and understand how to run these retreats. So what are you looking for in that person? Well, I tell you, it's an extremely intensive time for not only clients, but for us as well. Right. So you have to be spiritually pretty mature to be able to hold the space for people Mm -hmm. to have all kinds of reactions. And, you know, and I have like, usually the the problem I usually have is that people will will come and do this retreat and they say, oh yes, I can do this. And I can see how ego is, you know, running. And I know that they can't. Yeah, I know. And, And when you say spiritually mature, you're talking about when the client came for the half hour session and laid into you. Oh yeah. And you just held the space. Not only that, people have to have their own stuff worked out. Yeah. You know, I can see myself how sometimes I'm triggered. Yeah. And I didn't actually, I write about it in in the book. I didn't realize, you know, Stoma, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. He's a wonderful gentleman. And he, we connected when he would visit Kavailadam. We would go always for lunch. And, I, and knowing that he's a psychotherapist, I said, Stama, tell me why I am so dead tired after those retreats. I mean, three weeks, and I have to have a week in bed because I can't move, I can't think, I can't do anything. And he looked at me, at me and he says, you know, you probably don't have your own stuff connected with cancer worked out. Mm. And I just went, oh. And my father died when I was 15 
of cancer. And it was for me very unexpected. And because we had no mother, I was left alone from age 15. Mm. And I, no, you know, we didn't talk about PTSD at those times. We didn't talk about grieving. Nobody was talking about this psychological stuff. So I had to just pull my socks up, and go to school and do whatever I needed to do. None of this was worked out. Yeah. So I went back home and I had a huge release <laughs> that day and the next day. And from that day, I'm not as that tired as I used to be. But that, you know, that tells you that you really, really have to have your own negative experiences, difficult experiences in life, work out, make peace with them so that you can be in service. That's why I am so hanged up on sadhana. Mm, personal I, daily practice. Personal daily practice. Altogether, I think six, six and a half years in India. And I did different courses there. And one of the courses I did, masterclass for experienced yoga teachers. And I would have ex experienced yoga teachers who would come from Europe, North America, different places. <laughs> and 50% of those didn't know what pranayama was. 80% of those didn't have any sadhana to speak about. And these were often people who were teaching other people, doing yoga training courses, teacher training courses. So for me, you know, if we are working to be in service to help people, to guide them into vertical going within, recognizing stuff. If we are to be helpful, we need to have gone through that thing. You can't take people where you haven't been, right? I am so happy you're talking about this. Just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Because I know there's few it, of us. It, it ties us. into even training yoga therapists. Yes. If a yoga not therapist even, doesn't not have even. A, not even it <laughs> primarily it, it prime you know in our program we require a daily practice and i have people that go through the whole first year without doing a daily practice and i have to sit them down and say you will not graduate from our program yeah because there is still i think a lack of basic understanding of what yoga therapy is and what our role is in yoga therapy and how we have to be clean <laughs> in order to help people clean themselves up. Paraphrasing Patanjali. Right? <laughs> I, 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 the other day I listened to, uh, Eckhart Tolle was in Toronto. <laughs> mm. And I list, went to, to listen to him and he says, you know, we are all light. It's just that some of us have lighter shades and some of us have darker shades and we just have to clean clean those shades and take those this blue gulu out in order for us to be alive who we already are and, but and we can't do requirement to be a yoga therapist absolutely absolutely and i don't think many people 
understand that. A few years ago, there was a formal complaint against me uh, submitted to IAYT that somebody read my manual then, because I had a manual, and I was talking about spirituality, and the person felt that I'm totally out of my water, and that's not yoga therapy, that's religious stuff. And that just floored me, you know, because that told me that we so need to start talking about spirituality. And it took me four years to get spirituality on the agenda of sitar. And I will be speaking on spirituality. So I saw that. So in June 2022, and I know you've been working on this for years. I sat with you one evening and you said, yeah. what do you think? Can, could this be a sitar? And I said, it needs to be at sitar that the I heart remember. of yoga therapy is spirituality. I mean, that seems like a no brainer. But some, someone, someone made a complaint yes. that you were practicing yoga therapy, tying Outside it, of, of scope, tying it back to spirituality. And that's yeah. supposedly outside of scope. You know, we're a young and emerging field. Yes. All and I we have say, a lot of work to do. Lot we of work. A lot of work to do. And we, yes. we, even within our organization, don't even understand sometimes what yoga therapy is. Yes. Mm. Well, that's why this book came out, right? That's well, why. Tell us about the book because the book is amazing. <laughs> well, it, it came out of Sitar because I was listening. I don't remember which year it was maybe 18, 2018, and I was sitting and uh, listening to lectures. You were, you were president at that time, mm. listening to the lectures of people trying to explain what yoga therapy is and what yoga therapy is not. And those were, you know, experienced yoga therapists in the field. And I thought, oh my God, we have to now still explain explain to people what yoga therapy is and is not. And I said, we've got to write about this because there's a lot of misunderstanding. Yeah. And so that's how it came about. And then. And, and the, the book you're referring the, to Lee, just for those who are listening is called yoga therapy yoga. as a whole person approach to health. It was published in 2020 and the authors are Lee Majuski and Ananda Bhavanami. Yeah. That year, Ananda had a lecture and I thought, and I listened to him and we have sort of a mother-son relationship. He calls me Canadian mother. So we, we connected when I was in Kavailadam and, you know, he, he would help us write the research papers. He's brilliant. This guy is absolutely brilliant. He is. And so I thought, yeah, he's got it. And I thought, okay, why don't I invite him and we'll write it together. And that's what we did. We were ready actually 19, but it was just before COVID. So they postponed it. The thing I love about this book, I mean, every single page is full of spot on definitions of yoga therapy and showing what we do. I mean, every single yoga therapist and anyone who's interested in yoga therapy should have this book. It's one of my top three favorite yoga therapy books. 
But what I love most is in the beginning, when it goes through all the different yoga therapy schools and the history of yoga therapy, especially in India and what happened in each school, to me, that historical data of yoga therapy being around for as far back as a hundred years, that was amazing. I have not seen that in any other book. Well, that was created by Ananda, and I thought, you know, that there's nobody else but he who can really understand where each school is. Yeah. And I hope you notice that Krishnamacharya, KYM, his school was on the first place. Because you guys are are on the first place. I mean, it's, you know. KYM does a great job. I'm not going to. Absolutely. Well, and both Krishnamacharya and Desichikra was unparalleled. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that book, but you also have another book that you wrote in 2019. It was published and this is called Coping with Cancer, A Journey to a New Life, a Yogini's Perspective. And this is for like the lay person. This is for somebody who, either somebody who had or is going through the treatment so that they understand, you know, what happens or for somebody who is supporting the person so that, you know, it's, it's my account of what happened to me and what were my thoughts and, and how difficult it was. And it was quite a difficult journey and it is for everybody. You know, Leah, we're coming close to an end here. And I remember maybe six months ago, I spoke to you and you had had kind of a, a spiritual awakening, if you will. And, and one of the things you said to me, I don't know if you remember this, is that you feel complete. If you went off the earth and up to the home office, it would be okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, not that you want to go there right now, but. No, nope. but it's feel- okay. Yeah. 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 So, I'm, you know, if I'm cold, I'm ready. How did you get there? Or did it just spontaneously happen? Well, I had near death experience and that deprived me from the fear factor. There was a half an hour of in my life that I was so happy, like I've never been before and after. And they brought me back and, and I didn't know anything about that until maybe nine months or 12 months later, a book arrived, which was Raymond Moody, Life After Death. And I said, oh, <laughs> I know that, <laughs> you know? Mm. Now, I, I, the thing is that as we develop, and I believe it's our life mission, life work, is as we develop, the personality or the form is beginning to weaken and the beingness as i mentioned becomes stronger and so the transition for me and in my understanding the transition between form and or personality and beingness is the moment of death because you don't stop being your being is still being you just don't have personality and you don't have ego and you don't have ability to communicate with 
the people you leave behind. Although my mothers keep talking to me right now, you know. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, maybe they do communicate. It's just that we ignore them, you know. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows, right? But yeah. the the thing is, since having this near-death experience, you don't have the fear because you in your cells understand that the form is something that can be shed, but the consciousness will remain. But, but I remain, whatever I is, you know? And that was when I was 28. Mm, yeah. I hear that from a lot of yogis, actually, that somewhere earlier in life, they had a near-death experience. It's a little different for everyone, but at that moment, they knew there's nothing to be afraid of now. Yeah. And so we just do whatever home office, you know, right now I'm, I, I live today in the moment. I mean, I, as, as you know, today we have, what day we have today? Thursday, May 5th, 2022. (laughs) Right. Thursday. Okay. So I, I remembered about our conversation on Monday when I looked at the weekly calendar, that's it. Yeah, You know, in my mind, I just live right now. You know, I go to bed with God's grace. I get, get up in the morning, happy to be, be alive with the gratitude for another day. That was the gift from cancer. Hmm. Yeah. And I think when you find the gift in cancer, you have more fully digested the experience. Oh, yeah. And can be of service. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I had to have cancer in order to do what I do. That's right. Because now I can say we, you and I, we together, rather than, oh, you had a cancer. If someone wants to find you and study with you or learn with you or be with you or have a conversation with you, How's the best way for them to reach you? Is it through your website and the contact us page? They can do that. Or they can also email me at my email address, personal email address, or they can fill this. Yeah. Okay. So, so your website is www.yoga4health, Y-O-G-A-F-O-R-H-E-A-L-T-H, yogaforhealth.com institute and on that website there's a contact us page that people can put in their name their email their message and i assume that goes back to your email i think that's probably the the safest way to have them contact you and you're talking at sitar in june of 2022 what do you remember the name of your talk spirituality and yoga therapy i cannot wait for that i've been waiting and waiting and waiting <laughs> i know we, th- we had this conversation so yeah. many times <laughs> yeah well thank you so much lee for sharing your journey with us and i'm thrilled you're still here on earth being grateful every single day <laughs> well i have to tell you that i'm so grateful for you mm. and all the work that you are doing it's incredible the opus that you are creating is incredible. And the education that you're providing by, by talking to different people is, is incredible. I actually, wrote, I, I actually wrote to Matra way back and I said, you guys need to do what Amy's doing. 
<laughs> you know, in order to provide the education, you know? You know, the way I think of it is IOIT has a whole lot going on and I can be of That's service true. outside the organization doing this. And there's, I feel that it is partially for IAYT, right? It's not just for me or my business. It's for the field of yoga therapy. That exactly. And that field of yoga therapy so needs education. Yeah. That's so right. needs education. So you're doing fantastic. Thank you so mm. much. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you for listening to this episode with Lee Majewski. And as I had said in the middle of the podcast, we're now offering the podcast on YouTube also. So if you would like to see Lee and all of the things I brought up on screen, you might consider going to YouTube. The channel is Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. And we also have a Patreon page now if you'd like to support us in producing this podcast. We now have five people engaging in the production of this podcast, and we are hoping to create an archive that will be available for many, many years to come. And Lee said something very beautiful after the podcast that she and I were just talking and had never occurred to me, but she said, the field of yoga therapy is in the very earliest stages of emergence and development. And she said that having people like herself and many of the other wise elders in the field, having them on a podcast so that 50 years from now, the people who have become yoga therapists and yoga therapy is in every hospital, and it's just this common thing like massage therapy or acupuncture, 50 years from now, people may be able to go back and see where we were in these very early days when we were still trying to define yoga therapy together. And she said, having that archive is going to be a very precious gift to the field. And I had never thought about that. I think that's a very lovely bhavana for this podcast, both the audio and the video. So if you'd like to contribute to this archive and kind of speaking to many of the experts in the field, we would love to have your support on our Patreon page. Now, one other thing I want to talk about before I leave you today is what Lee has been so passionate about, and that is that each of us have this daily sadhana or daily practice where we come inward, we connect deeply with our own consciousness letting go of our fears, our agitations, our personalities, our roles, remembering who we really are. And that that is actually part of our job description as yoga therapists, that we do that almost every single day if possible. And I think many of us kind of feel like, oh, I'm too busy. I've got too much going on. I don't have time. And, you know, as as some wise elders in the spiritual community would say, if you don't have enough time to do a daily practice, you need to do a daily practice that's twice as long because that means your life is way too busy. So if you don't have time for 30 minutes, you need to be doing an hour. And, and finding a way to readjust our lifestyle in order to make sure we come home to ourselves and talk to the home office every day. <laughs> that is part of the job. 
So I really love that that is part of Lee's passion. And, and that helps us work through our own blue goo, work through our own undigested emotions and life experiences. And of course, gives us a strong spiritual connection to something larger than ourselves to help give us the faith and courage that it requires to be a yoga therapist and to hold space for others and to help them through their blue goo and come out the other side knowing that they are pure consciousness. So thank you, Lee, for reminding us about the importance of daily practice. And as I said, if we don't have enough time to do that or we're too agitated to do that, Okay, this is the call that it is time to come home and and find a way to make it happen. Thank you for listening and we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget, we have a new YouTube channel called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. We also have a new Patreon page where you can support us to bring you the most excellent content and that is Optimal State and the Yoga Therapy Hour Patreon page. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.